Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 26th of July 2011. Uh, for newcomers to the broadcast, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to the audios which are there for free download. There's hundreds to choose from and maybe, just maybe, you'll get a shortcut to understanding the big soap opera which you're born into with all of its incredible levels of deceit and lies. And it's getting worse all the time from governments and media as they dumb us all down and they actually use dumb speak to us. Uh, and they actually talk about it and write about it now. And we're supposed to believe all the nonsensical fairy tales they keep telling us. I try to show you the shortcuts to understanding the big picture of how the system really works by giving you the books and the authors and the globalists who are involved in the big society at the top that basically plans the future all the time, your future, everybody's future, and what they're going to do with nations and uh, all that kind of thing. Because really, we live in a a long-term business plan, and that's what it is. It's someone else's long-term business plan. It's a poorly written soap, but it, it does the job because it's the only one we're allowed to watch. That's called life, you see. So help yourself to those. Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so you could help me out by buying the books and discs I have at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And remember, all the sites listed there have transcripts in English of uh, a lot of the talks I've given, too, for print-up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwatchsentinel.eu and take your pick from the choice offered there. Now, we are living in a soap opera, and... uh, it really does get worse and worse all the time. It's like they started it with pretty good producers, a good script, a long, long, long time ago, and then they just hire cheaper and cheaper writers until you can always tell what's coming along the pike. Uh, apart from all the books that the top players do put out, and especially in their biographies, they, they tell you what's coming down the pike. And I can remember, oh, 20 odd years ago, 25 years ago even, they talked about what happens when we get a global society, what will all the big uh, military-industrial complexes do, because they have them across the world in every country. And they, they gave all the different um, ideas that had been tossed around by big players at the time, and they said they'd have to get into the private sector and the public sector, and especially into police. And, of course, that was the whole idea of the militarization of the police, who now are given Jane's magazine to, to choose their armored vehicles from. I mean, that literally is planned a long time ago. And we are taught today that we're just bumbling along, stumbling along day by day, and things just happen, and we have to intervene and just make our minds up in a, in a parliament or a congress on the spur of the moment. Nothing is further from the truth. Because we're living through, as I say, a script, a script literally, and even to do with what happened in Norway was, was pretty well right on cue because everyone was complaining about all this nonsense about terrorism everywhere across the globe and nothing was happening back home. They had to make something happen and something did happen. And of course they have all their new gadgets and gizmos and laws ready to throw again on the general public and use 
to, to stop it happening again. We've heard this before. And so, as well as basically uh, allowing them, almost at the stage of allowing them to get chips so they can track us from, from our house to, or to the bathroom or something or back again, because that's how ridiculous it's all getting. And that is the purpose too, by the way. Literally, so they can track you 24 hours a day. That was all discussed when they brought out the whole agenda for the Total Information Network. Total information is not partial information. I hope you understand that. It's total. Everything that they can possibly find out about every single being has to be recorded and kept in databases and all put together nice neatly, neatly packaged for the future. Back with more after this break. We're back, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, just talking about the big soap opera. Uh, and it is a soap opera because, as I say, in soaps, especially the poor soaps, I guess they're all the same now, uh, you, know, you always know what's going to happen next, or what has to happen next. And that's how that's the system in which we live, too. We always know what has to happen next. As I say, the big boys, through the United Nations and all of their disclosures, have pretty well told the whole world where it's supposed to go. And... Uh, there's no say in the matter if you or, or anybody wants to go along with them. You give no choice in the matter. It's simply planned that way. And uh, there's no doubt about it that the top dogs will do all they can to bring it about. And they do believe, you see, they do truly believe that the peasant of one country is the same as the peasant of another country, and therefore you're all the junk genes at the bottom. You're basically the, the bottom level of taxpayer. You're the labouring class who will never get rise above it because you don't have the right genes to do so. They, they have discussed this stuff in some of their, their works from academia. Actually believe it. And therefore, the future that they want to bring in eventually down the roads, 2040, 2050 and near onwards, is their brave new world scenario where literally we'll have a great leap forward. Not, not the junk genes, they'll die off supposedly, but uh, the ones with the right genes will leap forward into this brave new world where they can create new types of, of uh, semi-humans that will serve them better without having to give you entertainment or give you terrible news stories and uh, explanations for what they're really doing at the top. They won't have to do any of that anymore, and it'll be such a, a happier time for them. And this is, their, their envisage, this is how they envisage the future. Darwin himself talked about the same kind of thing, where he talked about the preparation for the big oak tree to grow. And he, he starts off with the soil and how different insects come in there, and then eventually it's followed with bacterium. And then more insects come in there, die off, more bacterium. And eventually the soil is all ready for that acorn to get planted and it grows. He's talking about an upper type class, I hope you understand. And all that the bugs that came and went and the bacterium, that's all of you. I hope you understand what they're actually saying. And that's how they view you. We're staging rockets, that's what we are. We're stages in a rocket to, to boost the payload on into the future. That's our purpose. And that, again, that's all part of the Darwinian theory. As, as different species and different types within species die off, the, the better ones go on, so they claim. And that is the world that's been brought in right now, as we live, if, if this is what's called living. Because, again, we're going through the greatest charade when the countries that are supposedly utterly bankrupt are smashing 
countries like Libya, this is probably one of the few countries that's paid off all of its debts. It's astonishing. And in today's paper, California seeks a $5 billion bridge loan to pay its bills because, again, of the congressional soap opera. Will they give us the cash to continue or won't they? That's what it is. And we're getting blackmail statements coming out from presidents and other people saying, if you don't give us what we want, this extra money, 2 or $3 trillion, that's all we're asking for, uh, then uh, uh, the checks won't go out and the welfare guys will be unhappy and, and, and all the public employees are going to be very unhappy and watch out. That's basically blackmail. And all they want is two or three trillion extra. That's all. I can remember when Reagan, President Reagan asked for a trillion for the first time. No one had ever asked for one trillion for the whole, for the whole year. This is two or three trillion extra they're asking for now, on top of the trillions. And, of course, everybody's suffering in the U.S. because, um, the U.S. dollar is worth very little now, right now. It won't boost up again. Uh, I'll never go back up to where it was, but it won't boost up again uh, much higher than where it is now until they pass this, this, uh, this final deadline of agreeing to go along with it. And then, of course, the bondholders will buy, buy them all up, of course, at uh, usury interest fees, and will, will flow along for a little while more until the U.S. can finish off its main job. And his main job is to standardize the last few countries on the list that Bush had. That's what it is. And we're living through this, this uh, as I say, terrible soap opera. Terrible soap opera. And you know they're going to get it. What, what, Obama's going to get his cash, or at least the group behind him is, because the front man really is generally not even, not even in the know of what's really happening. doesn't have to know. But until that happens, as I say, it's a stranglehold on everyone with bated breath until they say, okay, you got it, and that's it. Oh, thank God, then your dollar's worth half again what it was worth before. What a joke. And they want to keep the same system going, supposedly, until it, well, the end of the, the cosmos, I suppose. Even though it's never worked for the people, never will work for the people, even though the bankers plundered you on average twice a century, they're going to keep that same system in place. Astonishing, truly astonishing. Anyway, there's a caller hanging on from Sweden. It's Thomas from Sweden. I'll take him now. Hello, Thomas. Hello. Oh, can you hear? Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We spoke maybe a month ago. Uh, something like that. Um, well, I want to comment on something uh, about Norway and and the terror attack. If that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, here in Sweden now, uh, I spoke to my girlfriend. She lives on an island right now, and there were some farmers just uh, firing off their rifles on the property, shooting on, I don't know, cans or old bottles or something like that. And then some a paranoid bear, uh, what do you call it, berry picker, from the police, and the, the police came with, like, I think two trucks of police, and they are like, Get to the ground and and uh, and all that. And yeah. then when they explain, like, yeah, but it's our property. And they're like, well, okay, yeah, but it's good for our police force to have some something to exercise on, you know. And so the, the paranoia is already working. Oh, oh, it's working. It was working even after 9/11, because um, I, this is how fast it works. Um, 
I remember my neighbor who goes hunting every, every year, he always fires about five shots maximum in his sights and his rifle. And that's all he'll do, five shots. He's got his own land, his own hill, and the hill was the backstop. And some neighbor from a village uh, two miles away that just moved in from the city, uh, paranoid, can be heard the shots, and, report, and SWAT teams came in, you know. So he was firing on his own land. And so, so, yeah, it doesn't take long to put the paranoia across the whole planet. Even a backfire from a car now, and everybody's going to duck for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, another thing is that uh, we, we, they've passed a law here in Sweden when, when you get a, if I drop like a, a gum paper on the street and that police see it, they will find me with maybe, say, a $100 fine or something like that. So it's basically... Uh, communistic uh, laws, you know, to, to you, I would say, rat on your neighbor. You know. Yes. Uh, oh, oh, well, Sweden's pretty far ahead that way. Far it's ahead. so ridiculous. Yeah. It's yeah, so ridiculous. And, yeah, could continue. Uh, yeah. Hello? And, and uh, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Uh, and, and I lived in Oslo last year, so I'm, I'm pretty upset at what's been happening, but I've tried to keep my had cool, and so and I've called people in, in Oslo, and the, the whole city's in chaos. Yeah. Apparently, emotionally, and 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 when I look at the news feed, it's such it's disgusting, and uh, in the sense that they, they're giving us such fantastic storylines that he's like a, a right wing Nazi Christian, or he's a white Al Qaeda Nazi, or something like that. It's 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 yeah. baffling. It's just disgusting. It is disgusting. So con- yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's disgusting. They've, they've all jumped on the same bandwagon. And in reality, we don't even know much about them at all. Uh, and uh, we probably will never get told much about them either. And it might surprise all of everybody to find out who he actually really is, if they ever dare to tell us. But um, I often think, too, that, that um, it's got a whole bunch of people off the hook right now. You had the Murdoch newspaper uh, group in really hot water. It wasn't just for bugging the occasional person's phone call. These guys were bugging politicians, uh, taking prime ministers across the planet in private jets and all the rest of it. They they had the blackmail dope on everybody. You know, literally, I mean, Murdoch was the big honcho behind the news. And, and the news ends up being your reality, especially when every source that, that comes through, he owns. So literally, and Murdoch too is actually a national of a foreign power, and no one seems to bother about that little bit there. But suddenly, that's gone from the media. Cameron, his role in it getting backed by Murdoch is gone from the media, and there's Cameron up there saying, "Oh, Britain's in deep sympathy." I mean, it's almost made made for made to order, isn't it? It's got him off the hook, and he's he's all so concerned about Nor- Norwegians. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we, I mean, in Sweden, in Stockholm, in the capital, we had a, an attack last year that uh, was supposed to, to be a failed one because he only killed himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know a guy who, who puts up surveillance cameras uh, as a, a living. And the private security companies now, they've, they've made it sort of uh, a pot or something that um, if you put up an illegal camera, they pay the fee. Uh, that you're charged with, and then the camera are allowed to stay up. So if you put up an illegal camera, you only have to pay a fee, but you can keep the camera yeah. uh, up. So, And yet I haven't heard this in any newspaper in 
to medical. I had from a friend who works in the uh, surveillance uh, business. Mm -hmm. So we're being monitored and surveilled on, on numerous places without knowing it. Yeah, it's again right to where Orwell, George Orwell talks about 1984 when they even ha had uh, cameras and microphones in the forests. So you, you couldn't escape from them at all. And he, he wasn't far wrong, in fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, and the worst thing is that these cameras are so advanced they, they can create a, a 3D image of you out of a 2D image because the computer can estimate yes. uh, what you will look like in, in 3D. Oh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It truly is amazing. None of us really thought we were worth that much concern, did we? <laughs> no, I, I, that, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's so insane. Thanks for calling, though. And back after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix and there's another caller, I don't know who it is, it's, it says Fairweather from Pennsylvania. Hello, are you there? Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes. I just got done reading The Next Million Years by Charles Darwin. Yep. And I had three impressions from it. Is one, that the earth is much older than any scientist would lead you to believe. Two, there was never a meteorite that destroyed the dinosaurs and that. Three, that Homo sapiens sapien is not the first intelligent life form on this planet. There was other intelligent organisms before us. And why would Darwin, if that's true, uh, lead the reader to believe that? Why would he what? Why would he wish to lead the reader to believe that, if, if I'm accurate? Um, maybe it's not just for the reader. Remember, most of these books are put out and never read by the general public. And their peer group reads them. And uh, they have archives, real archives of real histories on higher levels. I've mentioned that before, even quoted some authors and, and some uh, top professors. Apparently one in about 60 or one in 80 even professors gets a chance to look inside a real archive uh, to do with his own particular profession or his area of research. Uh, so uh, a, there are small elite groups at the top there who have their own special areas, uh, and they have a different understanding of the past than the one that they give the general population. Now, uh, initially, too, uh, a lot of the, uh, this, these particular groups, um, remember the Darwins were very inbred people uh, with money uh, all down through maybe many centuries, who knows. They only intermarried with the Wedgwood family and eventually the Galton family. But, um, and the Huxleys too are related to them. However, you, you'll find that I'm sure they've been given a completely different, um, sense of the past, what came before man, what kind of man there was, uh, and, and, and such like. Uh, personally, I think they all died of, I think the dinosaurs actually went under because they owed too much debt, I think, the way we are going as well, because we, we become the dinosaur right now. But seriously getting back to it, um, they do talk about different types of humans uh, and the Cro-Magnon especially of having a much larger brain than modern man, for instance. But they do mention too that this creature would be a hard kind of creature to tame, maybe too wild, too intelligent. So who knows? Who knows what's tampered in the past? 
I, I do think personally something has tampered with us in the past a long time ago. Um, I think we were much, much cleverer at one time. I know in my own, own lifetime the IQ has dropped, and that doesn't happen by itself. You're born with an IQ, basically. Uh, something caused it to drop. So just like that can happen because of maybe injections or the alteration of hormones, which, again, um, the next million years that that, that particular Charles uh, advocated, uh, we are getting dumbed down and we are changing. And by the way, even Professor Carl Quigley, who was a historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, he refers to in his time back in the 60s when he was writing that, this book, um, he said that he said a sudden thing has happened, a sudden odd change has happened. And he said women have suddenly, suddenly is a key, and this can be verified with medical records too in institutions and, and teaching uh, hospitals. Suddenly in the, in the 60s, women stopped having the same hips they used to have and pelvic width they used to have uh, prior to the 1960s. A physical change happened to, to the structure of women suddenly, and yet there's no big concern about it. You know, we're, we're constantly being modified, constantly being modified. How are they modified people like going that long ago? How, how would they be able to do that? Why, why not? Why not really? Because, um, it's like Plato in the Republic and he talks about his uncle Solon going off to Egypt and finding out that the Greeks were far, far older than he himself knew. Uh, the Egyptian priests knew it. They had the previous histories of the, the pre-Greek period. But the, the present, that present population of Greeks didn't even know how, how old they were themselves. They had no idea at all, or even where they came from before that. Uh, but the Egyptians had their records. Um, so if you want to rule a world by a, a specific system, especially of money, for instance, you don't want the public knowing what's happened before, especially if you've taken down empires in, in ancient times or, or even prehistoric times. Remember, historic times and prehistory is just to do with the records that are left. If there's no records, it's called prehistoric, if there's no writing. But uh, who knows? We do, we do know that Moscow University uh, and, and Museum and other museums, they have found what they claim to be, and they are on display, um, very well-polished microscopic uh, microscope lenses. Now, a microscope, by reversing it and enlarging the lens, you've got a telescope, for instance. And we already know uh, that the ancient Egyptians and the ancient uh, people of India were also really deeply into astronomy, not just astrology, but astronomy as well. They had the records of the great cycles of 25 and a half or so thousand years. They knew um, this would happen every 25 and a half thousand years, the same kind of cycle. To know it the second time, the, the, the first time, it means you had to have done it before to prove it, you understand. So they're telling you right there that they'd already studied, been around for an awful long time to verify their initial findings. So if you found, if they, if they found uh, microscopes, or at least the, the lenses for what could be microscopes, then what's to stop them looking at bacterium or, or sperm for that matter? We know they were into, into selective breeding, special breeding. That's what royal bloodlines were all about. They even married their sisters to keep it going. And, uh, but they also took, they were into medicine as well. And one of the pharaohs wrote one of the first, what was called medical books in history to do, even including surgery as well. So they were into an awful lot of, they weren't just around under the sun having a good old time to themselves with slaves fetching their booze for them. They were actually, um, they had their, their scientific classes in those days. 
But I, I do think that um, when you've gone to, I mean, Charles Galton Darwin, remember, he was a physicist. He was no dummy. He was part of the Manhattan Project for the bomb. And um, for him to write a book like that, he wasn't just you know, wafting off into the ether about a few ideas. He was talking about stuff he knew and by, by, the, by the understanding of how they would plan the future, this elite group. But hold on and we'll be back after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix and we're talking about just a, a, a question about Charles Galton Darwin and why he puts into his books some things which aren't put out to mainstream science or, or, or really pummeled into the public's heads. And, and part of it, too, they didn't want to go into past types of humans, uh, and including the knowledge of where he got it all from, uh, is that uh, at that time they were afraid, not so much afraid in the 50s, but they had been before that, afraid of religious backlash about, uh, uh, oh, Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and so on. And yet, on the other hand, uh, they mixed with rabbis who talked about that was not the first creation. You, you know, there, there was many creations before that. And uh, uh, so there's always a lot of hints about a previous, previous times, previous civilizations, previous uh, humanities, and what happened to them. We, we don't know. We're not allowed to know. But uh, I've no doubt at all we're far older than we're told. And uh, it seemed almost like a, a global warming climate change mantra uh, to make us believe the same thing in the past that we all began about the same time to fit in with religious stories that they were going to give the general public while they kept another understanding to themselves in the high elite circles. And that's probably what happened. You look even at the, uh, you'll often see in Egypt, for instance, you'll see it in all your medical um, wagons, you'll see the caduceus, which is the, the intertwined snakes. And that's basically what you're looking at is, is the, the double helix of your DNA. That's what you're looking at right there. So I'm pretty certain they were further ahead than we're allowed to know. They've also got on display in the Cairo Museum batteries, uh, which works just like a modern car battery. You just add the, the acid to it, give it a charge, and, and, and wire it up, and, and on comes your electric light. And that's something else that uh, broke out to the world about nine, in the late, uh, or in the mid-60s for the first time. So... Yeah, we're kept in, we are mushrooms kept in the dark at this level. We're not supposed to understand too much either. That's what you understand as well. We're not supposed to understand too much. We're supposed to be children who play. And if we don't play, they'll give us lots of confusion to live amongst. But including all the conspiracy theories as well, they'll give us lots of those. I'm sure the Feinstein, not the Feinsteins, I was going to mix up with Sunstein, but they give us lots of stories to, to run around in circles with and go nowhere. So, as I say, all we have is a big question mark about the past, except that they, they keep going further and further back, even with archaeology, as they keep unearthing uh, new temples and such. Some of, the, some of them they've found are 10,000 B.C. in areas that they never thought humans even existed at that time. So they're finding older and older ones all the time. Will we ever be told the truth? I very much doubt it. Very much doubt it. Yeah. Hello? I'm started. Uh, long after World War II, 
Mm-hmm. And the leap from technology, like the surveillance aircraft, the night vision, it'll just like, bam, overnight. Yeah. Oh, the Germans still have, uh, NATO still uses a sniping uh, documentary series of a video that was used by Germany in World War II. They've never improved on the ability to, to camouflage themselves, how to, how to do, be a sniper. But you, on this particular video, you'll, you'll see them unroll a little umbrella-like device, like a small miniature umbrella. That was infrared to, to detect heat off enemies up to a mile away. Handheld, you know, you put in your backpack. All that stuff they had during World War II, including night scopes and night vision. It seems to me like all these advanced civilizations throughout time, they have an interest in the stars. Why is that? Well, pretty well at night time, sitting in the dark, there's not much else to see. (laughs) But if you're living in the desert, you understand, too, you've got the most beautiful picture of the stars uh, probably from anywhere else in the world. It's a a dry atmosphere, and it gets kind of cool at night. But so the stars are, and before all the world spraying went on, uh, the stars used to be awfully, awfully beautiful. And of course, the priests also used it as a, as a form of writing, you might say, um, because they drew up stories in the stars. And you know yourself, if you say that is um, Orion, that's the hunter. Now, it doesn't look to you like anything like a hunter at all. It's until that you look at the, the way that they filled in the lines and added it and fudged it quite a bit to make sure that you could see it was a hunter, uh, that you understood what they're talking about. Without the lines there, you'd never ever figure out that was a hunter. But anyway, they, they gave you stories in the stars. And the stories all, had all to do with, uh, uh, on the one level, uh, the, uh, a plan for the future. There's no doubt about that because they use the symbols of the zodiac for parts of a plan for the future. They always use that. And they all they had their esoteric ones for the priests as well, esoteric stories for the priests. And um, and that way they, they could basically tell the, the general population one fairy story, which kept them all happy and amazed. Uh, and on the other hand, for the initiates and higher members, they get an entirely different meaning about what it was all about, to do with the cycles of the ages, they, they call them. And how, how to rule an age, you must make sure that while you're ruling it, you must prepare the next age to rule, or you would lose that ability to rule. And it's never changed from thousands of years ago to the present time. When you look into the think tank projects of, for, the United, for the, the United Nations, uh, for the military wing for NATO, for the British military, for the U.S. military, they're working to, up to 50 years to 100 years down the road to all possible crises that could happen at certain stages. Well, it's no different um, from, from those who plan and work and, and run the economy and own the economy. They have to do the same thing as well. They must be in on the know of what's to happen in a 100 years hence. In other words, it's all for a small elite group who understand the sciences uh, to maintain power through centuries, down through time. That That's really what it's about. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, good talking to you, Mr. Watt. And thanks for calling. But yeah, we'll, we'll never get the told the, the, the full scoop on any history. But they have the little chuckles to do with, with the meaning of the zodiac, uh, uh, the symbols of the zodiac, and you can find all of the meanings if you just go into the Greek uh, mythologies. You get a lot of the meanings there, which are both exoteric and esoteric. If you stop and think about them. Very important that you stop and think about them. It's also important that when you read books like um, uh, like Charles Galton Darwin that you 
remember, these people don't waste words. When they use words, take particular attention to, to the little phrases they're saying because they really mean what they're saying. You, you've got to, you, most folk read stuff and they gloss over little parts of it. But you've got to remember, these people, especially these people, are very meticulous on the words they choose and how they put things together because they mean what they say. And to give you an example of that, here's an article on John Holdren that everyone should know by now. Is, is a, he wants massive depopulation. He's an elitist, a eugenicist as well. He's in for, for conservation because that's the, their term for bringing down the population of all the useless eaters in the world. And he's now appointed, like we're, we're living in an age of appointees now. They're attached to every council from your local to your to federal level. Obama's science are advocates de-developing the U.S. to a world of zero growth, right? Now, if this guy, this guy had ever run for politics, which he hasn't, doesn't have to, he's appointed, he'd never get voted in by anybody because he wants to take everything away and, and just demolish all the dams and everything that give you what you call civilization as you know it today. And it says here, uh, Holden has co-authored works in the past that called for a campaign to de-develop the United States and said people needed to eventually face up to a world of zero net physical growth, right? Zero net physical growth. He also co-authored a passage that said, now listen to this, I said that the meaning of the words is very important in the way they put them together. The fetus given the opportunity to develop properly before birth and given the essential early socializing experiences and sufficient nourishing food during the crucial early years after birth will ultimately develop into a human being. Now what does that tell you? That means that one who isn't given the proper food and nutrition, etc., right? and socialization, meaning indoctrination, will not develop into a proper human being. He says, where any of these essential elements is lacking, the resultant individual will be deficient in some respect. Now, these guys mean that anyone who can't catch on to and agree with elitists on what's to be done done with the world is somehow deficient. In fact, this article pretty well starts off with that because when he's asked about it, he says, if you read it and you have a problem, then you're misreading it. So read it properly, in other words. He's telling you how it's to be. And it's a CNSN Newscom approach holding after an event at the National Press Club held by the Mirage Foundation for the American Dream and the Woodrow Wilson Center for International Scholars. The event was opened to, uh, open to pre-credentialed media. And uh, Holden right off the bat told the media, says you're not going to get an interview. He wouldn't talk to them. And then the reporter persisted. He says, I just want to ask you a real quick question about a lot of your past work. I've read it, said the, the, the reporter. And uh, Holden says, no, no, listen, this is a stale topic. If you read it and you have a problem, you're misreading it. I didn't come here to be interviewed. I came here to honor my friends. And that was that. This is... Um, in 1995, Holdren co-authored a chapter with Paul Ehrlich and Gretchen Daly, The Meaning of Sustainability, Biogeophysical Aspects, that was included in a book published by the World Bank for the United Nations. Ehrlich and Daly are associated with the Center for Conservation Biology at Stanford University, and Ehrlich is best known for his 1968 bestseller, The Population Bomb. In The Meaning of Sustainability, Biogeophysical Aspects, Holdren and Ehrlich and Daly said, We know for certain, for example, that no form of material growth, including population growth, other than asymptotic growth, is sustainable. 
Many of the practices inadequately supporting today's population of 5.5 billion people are unsustainable, and at the sustainability limit, there will be a trade-off between population and energy matter through, through per, throughout per person. Hence, ultimately, between economic activity per person and well-being per person. In other words, your well-being and all the rest of it is to go down the tubes because these characters say there's too many of you. That's how they would tell you, by the way, of you. They don't include themselves. See, they're, not, they're above human, you understand? They're above human. You're human. They're above human. But they want you to live in a very primitive society till you all die off. It says, this is enough to say quite a lot about what needs to be faced up to eventually, which is a world of zero net physical growth. What should be done now? Change unsustainable practices, reduce excessive material consumption, slow down population growth. Now, you think about it. How are you going to slow down population growth? Because we're already plummeting in first world countries, have been for years, according to the official census that comes out. They're talking about the whole population in general because they don't differentiate between one country and the next. They look upon themselves as the masters of the world. Uh, it says in the 1973 book, Human Ecology, Problems and Solutions, Holdren and co-authors Paul and Anne Ehrlich wrote, a massive campaign must be launched to restore a high-quality environment in North America and to de-develop the United States. De-development means bringing our economic system especially patterns of consumption, into line with the realities of ecology and the global resource situation. Resources and energy must be diverted from frivolous and wasteful uses in overdeveloped countries to filling the genuine needs of underdeveloped countries. Now, they wrote that back in 73, and what's happened recently since the bank crashes that were all planned, you, you hear the word austerity, austerity, and then you, had, you heard about the redistribution of wealth across the world. See, all these characters are technically Marxists, you see, because that's what Marx came out with, the redistribution of wealth across the world. And um, many of the Marxists now are squealing because they never thought that they, as working class, were going to get taxed, and their cash was going to get thrown across the whole darn world. They thought it was the rich. No, it's, it's everybody, because the ones at the top are way above the rich, who you would consider rich. We're living through a, a business plan a complete business plan. And they want to de-develop the, your countries into what they call a wilderness state, a pre-Columbian era of wilderness. That's what they want. That's what the rewelding projects are all about, putting wolves in and pumas in down in Florida and, uh, and much, much more. So none of these guys, I say, are ever elected to anything. They're always appointed to top positions in government but they have the voice of a czar. That's what they call them, science czars. And they're running your local communities too, everywhere, until eventually you can't buy or sell a house without your ecological impact studies that are going to cost you a fortune. And much, much more than that, of course. That's the world you're living in. You're already under a totalitarian system. You have been for not long, a long time, but now its face is right out in the open for those who care to actually look at it and see what it is. Now, there's Bob from uh, Texas hanging on. Are you there, Bob? Hello, Alan. Yes. Uh, good to hear you. Hey, I heard you on Alex Jones today. tried to call in, but there had quite a few calls. And yeah. I was uh, interested in what you had to say on the, uh, uh, you know, the, I guess the humanoid experiments that are going on in the U.K. or have been for the past three years. 
Oh, longer than that. I can even remember reading articles about that many years ago, about them experimenting with human and uh, animal hybrids, maybe 15 or more years ago, yeah. in fact. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, you know, it uh, kind of makes me wonder if, you know, they've got the mind control down to a science with certain drugs and, and frequencies that interact with drug chemical reactions, clicking mm-hmm. in the brain, neurons, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes you wonder, you know, you've got if they could create a sock puppet humanoid, uh, you know, a born identity, kind of their own identity that they it's something. It, it, could yeah. that, that, does that sound far fetched? That sounds pretty way no, out not, there. No, not at, not at all, because they, they did. Um, again, I, I generally I used to go through all the newspapers and, and cut out uh, all the important bits you'd find once in a while. You'd find an important bit. And it would hit you between the eyes, and you say, wow, I'm sure they'll be talking about this for another year to come, and then be the last you'd hear of it. But they talked about creating these hybrids many, many years ago. They, they said they had the technology to do it then. We know for a fact that um, on public broadcasting even, uh, there was a series there on what they call the ARC projects, the ARC, the three ARCs across the world, they claim, where they have... That all DNA from all life, yeah, all life, right, right down to the vegetable. They were talking, I read in the Archaeological Magazine, uh, I was just in a doctor's office waiting, and mm-hmm. uh, they're talking about actually that they could bring a Neanderthal man back just by scraping his DNA, but there was ethics involved. And <laughs> they wouldn't yeah. know if that would be right. There's still a controversy over the ethics. Well, well I'll tell you one thing. If their brain is that big, as big as they say, we should put them in charge of the, of the planet here. Uh, and maybe see if you can find a way to get rid of this silly banking system, this corrupt banking system, uh, and let countries, if they allow us to have countries, that is, anymore, let countries literally print their own cash up and do it the old-fashioned way where there was no debt at all, and you didn't sell it off to bondholders. Can you believe you actually sell your debt? For every dollar that's created, they sell that off as a bond, basically, with a promise to pay uh, an interest on it, it, leading to more debt. I mean, yeah, something that you didn't even have anything to do with. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, and, and so they've never given. It's so criminal, man. It, it is. It, and they absolutely. would throw us in jail and throw the key. And you know, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And then, you know, these. Uh, I'll tell yeah. you later. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. Thanks for calling back after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix and uh, the last caller there is Joey from Arkansas. Are you there, Joey? Hey, Alan. Yes. Uh, population control um, agenda is really way on its way to uh, in the Philippines. I just recently came back and uh, now there are three bills that they're debating. One is uh, reproductive health care law, which is abortion, essentially. Yeah. Um, divorce law and same-sex marriage law. Yes. So I, I, I truly believe that. But I, the, my question really is along these lines. I, I haven't been back in 25 years, and and when I came back just recently, three months ago, the culture has shifted so much that it's it's more of like um when I when I watch the media, the the television, the commercial, it seems like I'm watching Chinese TV. Yeah. You know, the, the women are 
Chinese looking, even though they're Filipino, mm-hmm. and 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 products like uh, whitening, uh, skin whitening, and all that is just all over the place, and and all the young women and 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 adult young adult women are, are essentially sucked into this trend, and I wonder what's what's the psychology behind all that. Well, we're going into a global culture, a global system run by, by a global system, and it's far easier to have the cultures adapt and change to, to, match, to, to, to match basically the projected image for the whole world than to go to each country and give them a different one. So you're getting them to emulate uh, on, on a level uh, the American culture or Hollywood, I call it Hollywood culture because they were given permission by the CFR to create the world culture back in the 60s. Uh, and so it's easier for the world managers to give the same system across the entire planet. So that, that, and it's all aimed mainly at the young two who will, uh, through peer pressure, uh, and, and make it very sexy. They'll want to be part of it. They want to look like that, uh, behave like that, etc. So it, it's, it's really just part of the culture creation for the whole planet that, that you're seeing happening. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's the question I really have. If, if there is a realignment with... Would Philippines go by way of China? I'm Filipino, by the way. Yes. Would Philippines go by way of China as if, uh, like, China would just uh, swallow up the Philippines, and mm-hmm. especially with what's going on in this Spratly's Island? And yeah, we must always think of that, because I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Because uh, the, the Council for Pacific uh, Rim Relations was set up by the Council on Foreign Relations. It was a front for the foreign relations uh, before World War II. Their job was to ultimately work the, uh, a lot of the Pacific region into one trading block, and eventually they knew they'd have one master over it, and that, that master would be China. They said, I've got their old books here talking about it at their world meetings. So you, you are seeing a, a, the preparation stage for all of that happening. And for those who think that's ludicrous, don't forget that when Churchill and Roosevelt met with Stalin during World War II, uh, they divvied up uh, a post-World War II. Before it then came, they divvied up Europe and says, oh, the communists can have these countries. These are whole populations that's getting traded off like on a chessboard. Uh, so don't think for a minute they wouldn't do the same thing with, with the Philippines. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the thing, because I'm thinking about retiring over there and all that. And I'm, I, I don't know if I want to live under, um, uh, under uh, basically a Chinese rule, yeah. Especially just recently, the Forbes magazine came out with top ten, um, top five hundred, something like that, and ten billionaires from the Philippines. Like eight of them are Chinese. Something yes. Is, is yeah. Philippines already owned by China? And pretty well, they're moving in fast, and they're probably being given some deal by the U.S. and others. Yeah, down the road, you can eventually have it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was just really eye-opening. When I after I, I saw all that after being absent for 25 years, I, yeah. I was shocked. And yeah, but, but thanks, thanks for calling. That's that's the music there, and uh, I'll talk about that maybe next week from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night, me or God or your God, just go with you.